Are your customer acquisition costs too high? Lifetime values too low? Are you uncertain if your communication strategies are helping or hurting the efficiency and effectiveness of your marketing efforts? Welcome to the Continuous Revenue Marketing Podcast, where the most influential marketers in the world are sharing their insights and lessons on the critical topics they and their chief executives must address daily. How to drive consistent business growth by delivering more revenue through profitable acquisition and customer lifetime value maximization strategies. What you'll hear by listening to this podcast are the exact strategies and tactics our marketing experts are using to achieve these critical missions. Hi, I'm Russell Kern, CEO and founder of Kern and Omnicom Agency, and I'm joined by my co-host and producer, Elliot Dennis. And for this podcast, I'm exceptionally excited to welcome Luke Taylor, the global CEO of Omnicom Precision Group, a man I have incredible respect for and seen the tremendous growth that he's driven for all of our agencies within the group. So Luke, it's an honor to have you. Um, I'd like to just have you set the stage for our listeners today to just do a brief about your journey of how you came to this role, because I think it's pretty unique from Oyster to Digitas to Omnicom. And then we're going to get into personalized marketing. So let me throw it over to you. Brilliant. Thanks, Russell. Um, pleasure to be here. Um, crikey, the, the, the background piece can... There's the short version, the long version. I, <laughs> but it, 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 it's a little quirky, but I think it sort of sets the stage. So yeah. I, I, I read English at university, so I was not equipped to really engage in, in the world of, of digital transformation. But having read English way back in the mists of time, 92, 93, and leaving university then, uh, quite quickly um, got involved in the internet, actually set up a thing called the Internet Bookshop. It was bookshop.com, believe it or not. We were oh, quite yeah. fast out the gate. Um, founded it in 93, went live in 94. So I think we were the second e-commerce merchant on the web. I mean, wow. sort of crazy. Um, and so got into it that way. So trying to sort of marry together my love of the humanities and literature in those days, um, but with a, my entrepreneurial enthusiasm, I guess. Um, and that took me into the world of e-commerce and teamed up with an incredible sort of boffin uh, who was at Oxford with me. And we set up shop in Oxford Science Park because uh, we'd, we'd, we'd all been at, um, at the university there. So sort of incubated it there and and went on a great tear. And eventually the commerce bit sold to WH Smiths, which is a big retailer. And I evolved the consulting arm into Oyster um, and focused on the services component. and. Oyster, I guess, started off and sort of almost led with consulting and technology as opposed to creative and UX, which is how a lot of those early agent web agencies developed. So we were really out of the gate, a little bit more preoccupied by the business model, the econometrics, monetization, process design, which was a little counterculture to the other web shops in those days. And that and that's partly because in, in my holidays through university, I was working at a strategy consulting house called LEK. So I, I sort of, that was my sort of, I guess, uh, the sort of my business enthusiasm at the time. Um, and Oyster grew. We took a very early investment from Omnicom when they did the investment in Razorfish and Agency and Red Sky. Um, and then it became a public company. Um, and this is, I guess, was one of the 
big challenges for me. I then was elevated to the CEO of a public company. We were listed um, on the Dutch market, the Euronext, and it was about 70 different P&Ls. And it was just, I was elevated to the CEO just as the universe was unraveling. And we had to take out a huge amount of cost. And we had 60 companies that all were, had nothing in common other, other than the word digital. So some of them were managed services companies. Some of them were pure creative in UX. Some were, some, there was a company called Meta Design, which is a brand company. Um, some were sort of on, on the data management side. There was no unifying strategy it was a sort of um you know it's a, a, a dodgy roll-up it was a sort of portfolio um trying to ride uh, the era of cheap money and the sort of on the digital sort of dot-com multiples and then ran out of runway when the world sort of unraveled um so you know my first job was to stem the bleeding and sort of start trying to make money and 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 sort of uh, you know and we were in the public market so it's a very sort of there's a lot of scrutiny and, you know, the way we did that is we took those 60 P&Ls and we created one company, LBI. Um, and we realigned the entire offering globally around a single consistent set of services against that value chain. So, you know, we had managed services at the back end that were obviously would do the support and the optimization and the maintenance. We retasked our data um, and analytics company so they could drive continuous improvement. We put the UX at the front end and married it with the business analytical functions. Then we put all the build groups together. So we created this vertically integrated group. And, you know, we, we started to then win stuff again. And we I think it was, you know, we were valued at 60 million on the public markets when, when we took it over. I and mean, we sold it to um, publicists then. Uh, for I think it was a sort of almost like a t- sort of nine x growth over wow. quite a short nice, period of time. Nice success. Um, so that that was a that was that was the moment that gave me the confidence not to be nervous about P and L integration, because you know I think in the marketing services space there's a lot of everyone's very tentative around structural change because everyone slightly i think sometimes hides behind the word culture i mean culture is obviously mission critical and and drives everything but it shouldn't get in the way of common sense when we have duplication or complexity or a you know a sort of a two plus two you know equal five thesis from a from a client perspective and i think you know lbi was a good example where we took a big risk and we integrated everything reasonably quickly and we drove that 9x um, increase in enterprise value over a very short period. So, and it, it was it was tough and we had to get rid of dissenting voices because obviously there are a lot of people that are resistant to change. And the, and the first task was to be a little bit ruthless and to remove the impediments, you know, people that didn't want to go on the journey and then to reframe and, and sort of hire a, a management team that were... 100% unconditionally bought into that integrated vision. And, you know, and there was maybe 60% of the leadership team wanted to go on the journey and 40% didn't. And, but, you know, that was fine. So we had to, but we had to reframe the team um, based on people's enthusiasm um, and, and desire to do it. So the LBI, we were then at a point where we had quite a lively auction process, you know, with all the usual su- suspects, Accenture, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Publicis uh, was where we ended up. And then we merged LBI and Digitas. And that 
was quite interesting because LBI, I think, was very good on designing and building complex digital platforms. You know, and in those days, whether it was intranets or big e-commerce sites or massive scaled instances of sort of Adobe AEM, you know, it was all all sorts. Um, and we were good at complexity and we were good at size and we were good at being complex multi-market rollouts. So we that on the owned properties, we were good. And then we were really scaling fast on all of the performance media and the SEO and that size. So we were good there as well, partly through acquisition. Um, but we didn't have a good understanding of media. So what was interesting, and we didn't have a brilliant understanding of CRM, we had some. So when we merged it with Digitas, we were actually a tr sort of a slightly ahead of its time. We were a truly integrated full service agency. We had everything. We did two and a half billion of media, which is just enough, just big enough in those days to be credible, i.e. we could get the right buying rates and all the rest of it. We had best in class CRM because Digitas gave us that. We had best in class technology delivery and we had all the performance piece as well. You stitch that together and it was a very powerful global offering of sort of 8,000 people. So that was fun. I think that the slight issue then is, you know, Digitas was the sort of sexiest thing in the in the sort of the toolbox for a period. And then there was Sapient and then there was Epsilon. So there was a sort of, you know, publicist to its credit was on a very energetic transformational journey. Um, and they had, you know, and, 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 and they were really sort of investing energetically behind it. But I think it was as Digitas and LBI came together and defined, I think, a quite a strong next generation offer. That's when John Wren came and said, you know, can you put together something similar inside Omnicom? So can you combine the technology and the consulting and the CRM skill sets um, into an integrated P&L so that we can combine all of those skills and orchestrate those skills in a very powerful way on behalf of our clients without, you know, and we want you to eliminate any complexity, eliminate any sense of silos and make sure that we can create uh, these sort of these powerful uh, bespoke solutions for our clients from across that, that sort of set of services. So Luke, so Luke, that sets us up to talk about, and, and that was um, really helpful for me. I've worked with you for four and a half years and it, it provides a lot of insight into your thought process about, hey, I'm not afraid to bring organizations together. And I think maybe that's a piece of advice that you can share with CMOs is don't be afraid to go against the trend to do what's business right, because you had tremendous success. But give us a little bit about who now is OPMG, because that was your charge from John Wren. And um, let, let's talk about that, because I think the audience would like to know, okay, who is this OPMG? What is it? And what are you stitching together this time? And why yeah. is it valuable? Thanks, Russell. And it, it, look, it, I think, you know, we pulled together 12 different organizations into the group and they range from huge to sort of small to medium size. They have a number of different skill sets. Um, so you've got everything from heavy technology companies, you know, um, sort of who are very good at ux like critical mass you've got all this deep deep strength on crm across kern and javelin and rap um barefoot um you've and we've now got incredible uh, this is our proudest achievement we had no consulting capability two years ago 
we will have 5,000 consultants this year and wow. we would have grown it from, I don't know if I'm allowed to say numbers, but <laughs> we would have grown, I'll do the maths, you know, we, we would have grown it 6x wow. over a two-year period. So it, it, we're, we're in, you know, it, 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 it's, it's a huge number now. Um, and so that, that was a net new um, bit of the puzzle. And then we got very good technology companies like Code and Smart Digital. So it, it, it was a variety of different pieces. Um, but what we've done, it, it, it's similar to the playbook from LBI days, is we've effectively um, created three legs to the stool. Um, so one leg, uh, which obviously, which you know well, um, is the CRM leg. Um, and that is all around um, activation, really sophisticated ac activation um, and using AI and increasingly sophisticated algorithmic methodologies to drive the next best action. Um, and the sort of the flight path for the CRM companies is really obviously it's got to be brilliant at activation. And that's all about speed, efficiency, agility. Um, and that's one core component. That's just about doing scaled activation faster and a better value with more accuracy and reliability than anyone else. And that's a that's a real big thing there to do it fast and, and, and at scale and with agility and flexibility. So that that is one piece. And then the second piece um, is then all around the algorithmic work and the, and the analytics. Um, and that is really how to ingest data clean it expose it append it create that sort of unique id system um, build an algorithmic workbench on top of those data sort of lakes um, and then sort of put um, build and train algorithms into that analytics workbench to drive dynamic customer experience and and, and next best action so that's the crm group it it's being brilliant at the activation piece and then being brilliant at the algorithmic decisioning piece. So that's one leg and, and wrap can, you know, those are the target base that, that is in that leg. And that is a growing market becoming more and more important um, as we obviously need, you know, first party data to obviously drive all of the experience going forward based on the deprecation of the cookie and all sorts of things. But obviously, um, if you look at all big companies that we work with, they all have a strategy to get a bigger proprietary PII data set that they can monetize to drive upsell, cross-sell, and that they can use strategically to protect themselves against disintermediation by um, other, com you know, competitive right. threats. So massive growth area. The, the second leg of the stool where critical mass is our sort of lead proposition is all around customer experience, omni-channel customer experience design. And that's a different type of skill set. So if the skill sets in leg one are, are really around process, workflow you know the, the the sort of the machinery around activation and then the the rigor and the, the the sort of the the cult of excellence that you need in that algorithmic and decisioning piece those are the so it's, it's data science and activation is the skill set there in the second leg of the stool it's really around that it's the relationship between customer experience and service design and innovation and technology delivery 
because it's all around building beautiful, adaptive, personalized, flexible experiences. Um, and the way that uh, group is starting to scale and evolve is really taking that um, incredible sensibility around um, craft skills and experience design and, and moving upstream into owning the innovation mandate and the service design mandate for clients because increasingly um, brands need to engage with customers not through messaging but through utility and service um, and that's how they differentiate so uh, critical mass is very much focused on building out utility and service and tools as part of the brand extension and, and mission statement that's leg two and then leg three is the consulting leg. And that Cordera is our lead brand there. Um, and that is all around managing risk, change, complexity. Um, so the skill sets there are program management and delivery, complex stakeholder management and governance, risk mitigation, process design and change management, technology roadmap. Uh, road mapping, MarTech strategy, uh, definition, and then we've got a big offshore group of the delivery piece. So you've got a consulting and PMO layer, which is a sort of an Accenture-ish type of skill set. You've then got um, our sort of experience design and service innovation layer, which is more like the AKQAs and the RGAs. And then we have, I think, probably best in class in the entire industry, our CRM and algorithmic intelligence group, you know, RAPCA and et cetera. So those are the three legs of the stool. And then underneath those legs, we've got some horizontals where we sit our IP. So we've got very good tools to drive dynamic content orchestration, uh, to drive real-time interaction management. Um, we've got some really good intelligent production tools and systems. So those are a series of horizontal bits of IP that all legs of the stool can leverage as, as they need. So that that is the composition of the Omnicom Precision Marketing Group. Yeah. I, I want to go to personalized marketing, but before we do, I'm sitting here listening and I want to talk about something personal, which is you have an ability to see where the puck is going. And and you did it twice. This is the second time as you can bring companies together Maybe you could share a little bit about just sort of your strategic thinking or leadership philosophy as these CMOs are trying to figure out how to bring their piece together because you're, you, you're obviously great at what you do. I res highly respect it. So can you kind of say, you know, guys, this is, and gals, this is how I think about businesses. And when you're thinking about all your divisions, here's some of the wisdom I've gained over stitching and piecing companies together. Is there anything we could do about your philosophy, your leadership philosophy? Um, that's a good question. Um, I, I think something that has been consistent, um, which I've always taken for granted, but maybe it is a little unusual sometimes, is there's a I'm never that happy from a <laughs> quality of service and a quality of delivery perspective I guess I'm, I'm all I always think the status quo is not good enough and even when we climb a little mountain 
God, you know, the, the, there's so there's always so much to do. And there's a sense, I think, it, from a leadership style perspective, and I hope it's energizing for folks that, 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 that I, I work with. But there is a sense of energetic restlessness, I hope. I, I, I want to make it more positive than frustration. It's a sort of constantly trying to challenge the status quo, constantly trying to sort of interrogate what we could have done better as opposed to congratulating ourselves on what we have done well. Um, and I think that comes out of the internet space. I mean, I, you know, the irony is, is when we were doing this in 95, 96, we were building, I think, things that were as innovative um, and extraordinary as anything you can get today. Because it would, there was, it, you know, during that dot-com period, there was a sort of real sense of crazy ambition and obviously the numbers were sort of huge and everyone had a dot-com business plan and it sucked <laughs> the life out of every dinner party for about four years um so it was a really energetic time but it did institutionalize this sense of real frenetic pace and and sort of ambition and sort of you know enthusiasm for what can be achieved and i think coming living through that there, there's there's all i feel that there's always a sense that God, you know, we, we've got to get better at this. We've got to get better at that. And I think it's partly because the digital guys have always been burdened a bit by nerd baggage and they were never, never the people the CMO wanted to talk to six years ago. We always had to sort of slightly sing for our supper and no one quite understood us. And we were always a bit sort of hiding in the back and there were the sort of glossy, more sophisticated advertising guys that who they did want to talk to. Um, <laughs> and it, 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 it meant that we were always trying to lift our game and polish our offer. And I mean, I think through the whole evolution of everything I've done, we're always incubating new services and bringing new things to market. And I guess that's different to a more traditional creative business because they've, they've been successful for so long, those businesses, that maybe the incentive to change and be restless has not historically existed because it, it it was you know they 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 do been doing brilliantly for a long period of time and and, and creativity only gets more and more important with the passage of time but for a long period of time we you know it was it was a tough existence for us and we had to constantly improvise and adapt and change and pivot and i think i i, I love the word pivot i mean it's sort of obviously a californian term but you know crikey i mean we pivoted 5000 times over the last 10 years in terms of changing and adapting and integrating and buying new stuff and i think that's so it, it's that sense of restlessness i think is one key component to the management style what what you know going to bed at night thinking about what we can do next rather than congratulating oneself no, I, I i can't say as the recipient of that luke is you deliver that in a positive manner so i'll just give you that little bit of feedback because it's not yeah, I, hope is, it, I hope is, I don't come across as just highly caffeinated. No, it's not highly caffeinated. It's good. It's good. I work with another CMO at a very large organization. Well, I could talk about direct TV. And he had the same sense as you did, which is I'm just never happy. You know, I just want more. I know our team can do more. And so that was the leadership language. And that's your leadership language, which is we can do more. Yeah, we achieve, but let's do so. I think that's good advice for all CMOs, which is yeah. We can't be we can't be settled, is what you're saying. Is we gotta motivate our team for the next thing. But that, in, interestingly, I I now see that with all the CMOs I talk to. I think five years ago, CMOs were sort of 
more comfortable with status quo. There's there's not a CMO I know now who's not worried they're not moving fast enough. Thank you, Luke, for your insights on the value of stitching together various P&Ls under one umbrella and the importance of making the leadership changes to find those who want to go on the journey. I um, clearly, from your background that you sh- that you shared, you've made significant financial value that from bringing organizations together under one umbrella. I want to encourage our audience to please stay tuned for our next episode where Luke will focus on the huge consumer trends that are driving the need for speed within marketing organizations. On behalf of Elliot and myself, thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Until next time, I'm Russell Kern. The Continuous Revenue Marketer has been brought to you by Kern an Omnicom precision marketing agency that helps Fortune 500 companies increase revenue from customer acquisition to loyalty through personalization at speed and scale. For more information, please visit kernagency.com.